Um, last week was our annual meeting. I'm not going to go over all the details, but I will tell you this. If you're interested in our financial disclosures, um, we've got extra copies. We've got this great pie chart. It's available upon request. But seriously, we do have our financial disclosures page. Um, I always say we're, our, we're an open book in a sense. It's a simple breakdown because most of you don't understand complex accounting, or at least I don't. So, I, so make it simple. Tell me what all these numbers mean. So they make these little boxes that tell me what it actually means. So if you want a copy of this, again, and you're a part of our congregation, you're welcome to it. And if you need explaining, explaining I can explain what we spent. And if you need a deeper explanation, our accountant, Tom, can explain it beyond there. But uh, I just want to make sure. I know people are traveling. Um, somebody, you know, we, we have what we call the summer dip. And in our case, it's about 40 to 50% of our congregation is down in the summer. And that's okay. People are vacationing. They're traveling. They're spending time with family, which is all beautiful. And so I just want to make sure that people know that they can get that even if they're not readily here on a certain week. So that's the importance of that to me. Um, Seaberries, come on up. These are our missionaries. Let's go ahead and clap for them. <laughs> I'm going to move this right over to here. This is yellow in case you're wondering which one I grabbed. All right. Tell us who you are, where you were, and where you're going. <laughs> um, thank you for having us. We're, we uh, deeply appreciate each one of you in the body of Christ and those who support us so um, generously. We are Steve and Cindy Seabury. We've been in the Middle East for 14 years. We lived in Istanbul for eight years, and then we were in um, Cyprus for five years. And we were in the northern part of Cyprus, which is Turkish. We've been married 41 years. We have four children and eight grandchildren. And we've lived in Washington. We're from Washington. Um, and Steve's going to tell you a little bit more detail. So we've been reaching Muslims for 14 years in the Islamic Republic of Turkey, which is now Islamic, and also the Turkish Republic of North Cyprus. In North Cyprus, we've achieved a breakthrough. The Lord's achieved a breakthrough with a people group that hasn't been reached for 444 years, the Turkey Cypriots. Just before we left, Four of them were baptized, and six came to faith in Jesus. There's a whole group of them meeting together. They're discipling each other now, teaching the Bible, praying. And uh, the four that were baptized before we left, two of them were baptized by Turkey Cypriots. So there's been a huge breakthrough in a people group that's been previously unreached. Excellent. So we're now leaving the Middle East after 14 years, and moving to Marseille, France. Marseille is a city in southern France where in some places they're 60% Muslim. And they're, the population, the evangelical population of France is 0.8%, and the Muslim population is 10%. And in some places in Marseille, it's 60%. We have huge open doors, been invited to come by Armenians, Catholics, and also some Muslims. So we appreciate your support, and if anybody has any questions afterwards, we'd be glad to uh, answer them. So thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. Let's, we want to pray for you real quick. So, 
Father God, we thank you for Stevenson. We thank you for their commitment to you. We thank you for their willingness to go. God, I pray that you would just continue to protect them, watch over them, give them open doors. Father God, I pray that you would help them to, with their language skills and that development, that it would not only happen, but Father God, it would happen rapidly. And Lord, we pray just for um, a continued breakthrough in the people there, Father God, that, that there would be just this revival that is birthed in that and that the people begin to share with the others that already live there what's going on in their life. And I pray that you'd use Stephen Cindy in an incredible way to do that in your name. Amen. As a, as a church gathering place, we support um, 10 different missionaries and missions organizations. Uh, in September, I'm actually doing a series on that, why we do that, how we do that, and what our vision is for that. So if you've wondered, hey, why do you do this? Why do we send money outside of the country? Or why do we do this outside the church? We're going to talk about that in September. So starting the second week of September, which we also have a welcome back to fall barbecue. So you might as well come out and enjoy the series. Not that you have to skip all of August. Don't get me wrong. You're welcome to come each week in August too. I just got back from camp. Um, it was high school camp this time. And we had uh, 311, I think, was our number of campers. And um, it was great. Our church sent 19 campers to high school camp. We sent a total of 34 campers to children, junior high, and high school camp. And uh, that's exciting to me. For the three camps, there were over 800 four-square students from just south of Seattle and north of Olympia and between basically... Kent and the coast. <laughs> so that's kind of our regional, if you're trying to figure out where do all these kids come from? This small little circle in there. And we saw incredible things. We saw people accept the Lord for the first time. We saw kids baptized with the Holy Spirit. We saw kids pray for healing. We saw kids receive healing. And like people have said, why do you so believe and push camps? And it's because in one week, we're giving them as much God as they get in a year of Sunday school. And so to me, let's let them have that immersion in that. So thanks to all of those of you who contributed financially. Um, next year, if you're so motivated by what I've said that you want to go and serve, we had, um, besides myself, we had eight other people go and give up a week or more of their time to be a cabin leader, our camp nurse, Daphne, went as our nurse this year. Um, we have all kinds of positions that were filled by people in this congregation. Mostly the younger set, but uh, it's not too late for you. I'm looking at you guys. It's not too late. Those of you who think you're old, we can still get you in. So, again, thanks for that. If you've got your Bible, we're going to be bouncing around a little bit. But we're going to be looking at Galatians 6, 4 through 10. And I'm talking about obedience. And I'm finishing a series on obedience. And what's interesting is... Somebody, when I told them the chapter and verse, they said, do you have the right text? Because that doesn't talk anything about obedience, but I'm going to talk about how it is. Here's the struggle with obedience. I've talked about the, the difficulties of obedience the last three weeks, and today I want to talk about why it's difficult for us as a culture. But obedience is submission by choice. So it's not forced, it's not coerced. That's not obedience. That's being forced against your will. It's... When I choose to obey when it's convenient for me is not actually obedience either. If I want to be obedient to God, I have to make it a lifestyle. It doesn't mean if I blow it once, I'm no longer, you know, 
following God. That's not what I'm saying either. But what I am saying is it's part of who we are. It's part of who we become. Um, it's in reference to what God has called us to is what I'm really referring to when I talk about obedience. So Galatians 6, 4 through 10 tells us this. It says, each one of you test your own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Verse 8. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap if we harvest, if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Here's what the text is saying. Each one of you should test their own actions, then they can take pride in themselves alone. It's not that they don't, that they become a proud people. The text is asking, do your actions align with what God has called you to? Because what it's trying to warn you is against judging the person on your left and your right as to whether or not they obey, and it's asking, are you an obedient person? See, it's easy for me to stand up here and go, well, you do this wrong, you do that wrong. I could do that all day because I know some of your stories. I could talk about all your sins, or at least some of them. But what it says right there is, look at yourself. See, it's so much easier for me to look and go, well, you're wrong. You should do this and you should do that. But the reality is, he's telling me, Look at yourself and ask yourself, am I obedient to what God is calling me to do? We've talked about in this series about hearing the voice of God. It says we should share what we've learned with others. Sharing is not condemning. Sharing is life-giving. It's being vulnerable yourself to say, this is what I went through, and this is how I became more of who God created me to be as a result. Always with encouragement. Parents, those of you who are parents in here know that you teach your children based on personal experience. If you had really bad experience with something, you may not let your child participate in group sports or in scouts or something because it wasn't a positive experience for you. Or maybe you had this positive experience and you really push your child towards that because, you know, learning how to dance really formed me and shaped me. It's the same thing. What has God done in our life? And how do I help others understand that? Because if I'm going to obey God, I want other people to learn to do it as well, but in a non-judgmental, non-condemning way. Next thing the text tells us is, man reaps what he sows. Obedience in our life is full of promise. A lot of times we look at our lives and say, God, this huge mess How do I get out of it? And he helps work us out. The question is, did we learn from the experience? Or do we only blame God when we're in a bad situation? We cry out to God in our times of need, and he invites us to do that. But sometimes we're there because of the choices and decisions we made. We all experience the promise of God when we choose to obey. 
when our lives are marked by obedience, then I'm going to experience more of the fullness of what God has for me. Not because he's withholding it at other times, but because I'm not in a position to see it, to experience it. God has made promises to you. But many of those promises are conditional. And I'm not talking about your salvation, but many of the things he talks about, the very idea of you reap what you sow. When we sow sow kindness, we reap kindness. Recently I had an experience where somebody didn't like me, and that always shocks me. I always think, I'm a likable guy. How could you not like me? Some people are like, nobody likes me. I'm like, well, everybody likes me, so we balance out. So this guy didn't like me for no apparent reason. And I told my wife, I don't get it. I told another friend of mine I had to come. I was like, I'd never met him before, and he's decided he doesn't like me. So I was like, I'm going to confront him. And I was going up to confront this guy, and I thought, all you're going to do is make him put up walls and be more like angry. So for days on end, every chance I had, I served this guy. I went and bought him coffee. After meals, I would clear his plates. I'd spend days just trying to be nice. What I discovered was this. I'm not saying it was an obedience to God, but it was a method that said, I have two choices. I can either confront him, and we can have our exchange of words, and we're still going to leave probably no better off. Or I can serve him like Jesus did and try to build a friendship. Well, the third thing happened. I served him like Jesus, and he didn't hate me quite as much as at the end of the time we were together. But I had to ask myself, there were a couple times I was doing things, I was like, Jeff, are you doing this because you want to show him love? Or are you doing this because you want to get him? I'll show you, I'll be so nice. My methods and my ideas and everything else had to be checked. The third thing the text tells us there is, stay, or the fourth thing, the stay strong in doing good. It can be exhausting to do good. It can be. Sometimes it feels like all we're doing is we do and we do and we do and we do and we do. And God's not called us to be doers. He's called us to be like him. And yet at the same time, in what you do, go and do good. There's this TV show I loved, Boy Meets World. Anybody? Any other Worlder fans? All right, a few of you. The very last episode, they're sitting with their principal, and he tells them, he was always very proper and would correct them on the grammar. And he looks and he says, you're graduating. Go and do good. And one of the students says, don't you mean go and do well? And he looks, he says, no. Go and do good. I think that's what it's saying right here is, go and do good. Obeying God is hard. But our actions are called to be good. Our actions are called to be those of generosity. I've told you before, one of the faults that we're going to have as a church is we're going to be generous. Sometimes that's difficult. We don't always have as much as we want. But we're going to be a generous people. Not because we're better than anyone else, but because we've been called to do good. And one of the things I've told people when they go, oh, we should do this and do that, usually I'm like, let's go start it, but you got to start it. I'll promote it. I'll talk about it. You go start it. Because people have great ideas. But that action, that follow-through is so hard sometimes. 
that going from hearing to doing. As obeyers of Christ, it's not about our salvation. It's not about whether or not I'm good enough as a person. It's not about buying my way into anything. It's about reflecting who I am in Christ. And in Christ, I'm called to do good. Here's where we struggle with this in our culture, in our society. Number one, as an American, you have rights. These are instilled in us from birth, written in our constitution, reinforced through our education and cultural system, and we believe we have rights, and I should get to do what I want. I have the right to do this and the right to do that, and it's when we start to obey God, sometimes we don't get to do what we want to do. And sometimes I'm like a two-year-old, and it's, but, but I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to. And God's looking and saying, that's not what I have for you. But other people get to do that. That's not what I have for you. But other people have this. That's not what I have for you. So I have to give up things that I have a right to. I'm an American, and I have a right to do A, B, and C. And he's like, yeah, and I don't want you to. But what about that person? They're a Christian, and I don't want you to. And I come up with every excuse in the world. Because excuses are easy. But giving up my rights, that's hard. And yet I go back over and over again to Moses and to other leaders in the Old Testament and the New Testament as well. And the standards are stronger and different for leaders. And if I'm going to be a leader the way God wants me to lead, I don't always get to do what I want. And here's where it gets hard for you. Because he's looking at you and saying... I want you to give this up. But I have a right to do it. I want you to give this up. I don't have a problem with it. It's not like an addiction. It's not like it's... I want you to give that up. It may be for a season, or it may be because he wants you to learn the self-discipline. But he's looking at you and saying, are you willing to give up that unhealthy relationship? Are you willing to give up that... Substance? Are you willing to give up that thing that doesn't draw you closer to me? Even if it's not a sin, it becomes a distraction to you. I love fantasy football. Anybody else in here play fantasy football? Okay, about a third of us, a good number. There was a year that I gave up fantasy football. I'd been in the same league for 10 years, and I told them I'm not playing this year. They were all stunned. And I gave it up because I felt like God was telling me, Jeff, it's a distraction. And I was like, yeah, but it's just, it's harmless. It's fun. It's this. It's... And I really felt like, it was like one of the bigger battles. It shouldn't be, but it was one of the bigger battles I've had with God. One of those argument moments. Telling him why it was okay for me to keep doing it. And I stopped playing. For one year. And I remember they sent me the invitation and said, do you want back in? And I actually went and I prayed and I said, God, is this something you want me to give up forever? And I honestly felt and say, no, I wanted you to understand and put it in its right perspective, priority, and place. And I joined in that league. I won that year. I won the league, so God really did bless me. Um, <laughs> but what it was was it was an act of obedience. It was something I gave up for a season, literally a season. But it was something that I gave up because. God wanted to do something else in my life. I think sometimes, as a person, I go back to my, but I have rights. And he's looking and saying, not in Christ. You've given up your rights. 
You've given them up, not because you're not human, but because I have something greater for you. Second reason we struggle in our society is we're so independent. We wouldn't have our country if it weren't for a bunch of people who were very utterly independent, and I get that. I like the idea that I can make it on my own. I like the idea that I didn't need anybody's help to get where I am, and yet that's not true. And sometimes even I come up with an idea and I go, I can do this, and I try to do it without God, and it's usually an utter failure. And other things I know are God's ideas, and I'm like, I don't want to do that. That seems hard or embarrassing. I don't want to stand out. I don't want to go and talk to that person. I see that they're alone. I see that this is an opportunity, but I don't want to do it, God. I don't want them to think I'm weird. I don't want to damage future potential for witnessing because some weird Christian approaches them. That's the one I can always go to. I'm not saying any of you would ever do that. That's not what I'm implying. But I don't want to say something to them. And yet God's telling me to. I'm independent, and I like it that way. But sometimes he's saying, stop being so independent. Rely on me and the Holy Spirit. Third reason we struggle in our culture is if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it on my own. And we even say that in our faith. I'm a Christian now. I don't need to be plugged into a group. I'm going to do this. And he's looking and saying, God looks and says, it's better in community. You can't know God outside of community. And yet we're like, I'm going to do this because I'm going to be the great one. Somebody asked me one time about... Um, like my week, and I was telling them. And usually on uh, Tuesdays is the day I listen to sermons, and that shocked them. They said, you listen to sermons? I said, yeah, usually between two and four a week. And they're like, what? I was like, well, A, I got to get ideas for my own stuff. And B, I got to get spiritually fed. What is our culture saying? What are we needing? And I have a formula for how I do it. I try to go Old Testament and New Testament, try to do topical, and then try to do a person or character study, something that I want us as people to adapt. So, I mean, there's some, but then I go and I listen. And there's some people that I listen to almost every week. And there's other people that I listen to on occasions. And people will say, well, who do you listen to? I listen to Tim Clark out of Church on the Way. When Pete Wilson was still pastoring, I didn't miss anything he said. Pete Wilson's down in uh, Nashville. I listened to a woman named Heather Simple. She's on a speaking rotation, so she only speaks every third week. I've listened to the other pastors at her church, and they're okay, but they don't speak to me the way she does, so I listen to her. Her husband's one of the other speakers, and they have another guy, and they kind of team teach it. I don't think they should. She's that good. She should be doing all the speaking. Let them do something else at the church. There's other people that I listen to. I listen to Andy Stanley on occasion. I listen to, um, um, I'm sorry, I'm going blank, but at, out of Brooklyn Tabernacle. Jim, and I can't think of his last name. Great speaker. Not anywhere close to my theology. But he has great things to say about who God is. Great things to speak. I tell you that not so that you can say, oh, should I be listening to other speakers? Do if you want. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. I'm not doing this alone. People are speaking into my life and giving me direction, giving me insight, giving me vision. And I don't do that because I can't. I do that because, just so you know, there's nothing new that humankind is going to discover about God. 
We have studied him for better than 2,000 years. We have studied who God is. And stop trying to be the one with the new idea. Why don't we look at the ideas that are there, expound on them, spread them, make sure they align with Scripture? But why do we think we have to be the one who finally got it right? Why do we think we have to be the one that has the new epiphany? Because most of the time, when they have the new epiphany, the next thing you know, they're out in the desert with a bunch of followers howling at the moon and taking some kind of special Kool-Aid. That's what they're doing. Those are the ones with the new revelation. Why can't we look at the book and say, God has spoken to us. And God is still speaking into our lives today. But if it doesn't align with what he's already said, I don't need it. And it's not about me being so independent. It's about understanding who God is and what he wants to do in me. And then obeying what he's already told me to do. When I listen to people speak, it's not because I can't read the book myself. It's because I want to hear other ideas and other fresh insight on what's already there. And if it doesn't align with what he says, then it's not really going to speak to me. So, ultimately, have we really been called to obey? Other than just, okay, I'm saved now. I accepted Jesus. What next? Matthew 22, 37 through 40 tells us this. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Everything written before is based on these two things. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. I went through a whole series on the Ten Commandments, and I told you the first four are about loving God. The next six are about how we live in community. How do I love the person next to me? Because I love people, I won't murder them. Because I love people, I won't steal from them. Because I love people, I won't covet what's theirs. If I learn to do that, obedience to God begins to be much more simple. But we make it much harder because I don't really want to love people because that requires action on my part, typically. Love is not a passive thing. If you told your spouse, I love you on your wedding day, and 23 years later you haven't said it since, and you said, I'll let you know if I change my mind, that's not exactly love. But too many of us live our lives in that same way. Sure, I love my neighbors. Oh, who are your neighbors? I don't know. That guy over there. I haven't called the cops on him yet, and he annoys me. Okay. Is that really loving our neighbors? No, thank you for somebody saying that. I've told you before, when I started it as a pastor of the church, we only had three or four people that lived in our city that came to our church. Three or four units, total family units and people that lived in the city that came to our church. And I was thrilled that other people came or there'd have been nobody there. But at the same time, I was like, we've got to reach our city. And I began to just drive around and I would walk. I, I try to do my steps, you know, got to get the steps in. And I try to get my 10,000 steps a day and I walk my neighborhood. And I still do this. And I just pray as I walk my neighborhood. And it's not because, oh, Jeff, you're so great. But at one point, there were zero people on my street other than me that came to our church. There's now family units in this room that live on my street that came to my church, none of which I actually invited, but all of which I prayed over their houses even before I knew them. Because there's a principle that says, if I'm going to love my neighbor, I've got to pray for them. If 
I'm going to love my neighbor, I've got to show action and let them know. I want you to know that you matter to me. So why is obedience important to God? I'm going to give you four scripture passages you'll need to jot down. And I've got four points. Obedience of God shows, not to him, but to others, our love for him. 1 John 5, 2 and 3. It demonstrates our faithful commitment to him. 1 John 2, 3 through 6. It glorifies him to those in the world. 1 Peter 2, 12. And it opens avenues of blessings for us. John 13, 17. Finally, is obedience to God possible in our world today? Yes. Having been tried and tested, we will be found lacking nothing. Seek first the kingdom of God. And when we seek, we find it. And we find it within that place. We can connect to God on a new level, but it takes something on our part, a self-sacrifice on our part to get there. We're called to obey God, not because he wants to take away our fun. We're called to obey God because he wants to enrich and enhance our lives. And when we look at it as a, what am I giving up? We'll never do it. But when I look at it as a, what does God want to give me and put in my life? Then suddenly, it's maybe a little simpler. Not saying it's easy, but it becomes more understandable why God wants me to give that up. Why does God care if I have this in my life? True love of God is this. When we love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and when we love our neighbors as ourselves, we're beginning to show and become more of who Jesus is. And again, When you just read it, it doesn't sound too hard, but when you live it, it can be really tough. Let's go out and live it this week. Father God, I thank you for the congregation here. God, for every person in this room, I just thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for each of us. And God, you desire for us to obey, not because you don't love us, but you desire for us to obey because you want to give us the best. And so many times we get other things in our way. God, show us and lead us and guide us. Let us experience you in a real and deep and passionate way. Let us become more of who you created us to be. Let us learn to love you with all that we are, willing to give up anything that gets in our way of loving you so that, Father God, we can show you to the world by the way we love our neighbors. God, for those who are sick in our congregation today, those who aren't physically well, we pray for healing. God, for those who came forward for prayer today, meet them where they are. God, for those who maybe were even just not feeling well enough to be here today. I know of three people in our congregation that just aren't well today. God, be with them. God, for those who are traveling on vacation, give them rest. Let them experience your presence. Let them experience your peace. Let them experience your Holy Spirit in their lives, wherever they're at today. Give them joy in their families, Father God. God, for those who are in need of a job or in need of better employment, I pray for that to open up. I pray for financial provision for our congregation. God, for those who are searching, they want to do what you call them to do, but they're searching for that. Give them insight, give them answers, give them direction. God, for those who are feeling lonely, isolated, excluded, left out, Lord, let your Holy Spirit be a comfort and peace. Help them get into those relationships that are going to bring them life and hope and joy. And God, may we each know you more this week as we strive to serve you more. In your name, amen.